Hi everyone, it's Mark Dent from Law Trades, and welcome to this week's 10-Minute Legal News. As always, I'm going to chat about three different stories, and uh, this week we're going to run down the close of the Apple and Epic trial, um, a new state law in Florida that goes after social media companies and is probably highly unconstitutional, and finally, a little bit about, a little bit about everyone's favorite subject, space law and what it has to do with that uh, you know, piece of a Chinese rocket that we all kind of heard about a couple weeks ago that fell from space. But let's start with Apple and Epic. So earlier this week, they finished their trial, and to kind of go back uh, so everyone can remember of, of how this all started uh, a few months ago, Epic started to create its own sort of payment system inside its uh, game on the, uh, on the iPhone. Um, obviously, Fortnite is its most popular game and, and makes all kinds of money. Um, but Apple controls all purchases on apps, whether it's buying an app itself or making an in-game type of purchase or, or in-app purchase, if you will. Um, they sort of regulate all those and they charge 30% for every transaction. And Epic was just sick of that. So they made their own sort of payment system. Uh, they got the boot from Apple and then Epic sued Apple over its app store. And so it led to this three week long case where we had a lot of questions about, um, basically the limits of security and having sort of this like walled space um, where Apple says there's going to be higher quality because it is a walled space and potential antitrust issues, which obviously we hear plenty about. And, you know, with Epic basically saying that Apple is taking advantage of its power to kind of charge this 30% fee and, and not let, you know, different companies like Epic uh, have their own sort of in-game uh, charges. But uh, the last few days were particularly interesting and especially the last day um, because Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple was one of the last people to speak. And uh, he, he kind of defended Apple uh, along the same lines that its lawyers have done uh, the last few weeks, essentially saying that they do this for security by controlling all these in-app purchases and everything else. Uh, that's, you know, that's what they do. That's how they have like a good products. They insure it. Um, but in his testimony, he admitted a few things uh, that are, you know, both interesting and, and potentially not great for Apple's case. Uh, foremost among them was that he said um, that Apple, um, the majority of its app store revenue comes from these in-game purchases, basically from companies like Epic. Video games more or less uh, run the app store. They are the most important part of it. And so the judge was, you know, found that very interesting and, and said, quote, the gaming industry seems to be generating a disproportionate amount of money relative to the IP that you are giving them and everybody else. In a sense, it's almost as if they're subsidizing everybody else, end quote. And so you, you have that as like a, a potential sign that could be dangerous for Apple down the road if, if that's the way the judge is looking. Um, another thing that happened, though, was uh, Epic had uh, a pretty big flaw that became apparent in its closing argument, at least by what the judge's sort of reaction was. And, and that was where um, the judge kind of brought up how Epic has been saying that it should be able to sell in-game purchases without Apple getting a cut. Uh, and, and then the judge basically said, that's literally the strategy that Apple has built its business on. So you're more or less saying that Apple's fundamental way of doing business uh, should not be allowed to function. And that would, of course, lead to 
you know, huge changes if, uh, if Epic ended up getting what it wants. But, um, you know, as it was kind of shown from the last couple of days, the, the judge was asking some very probing questions of, of both sides. And here's kind of the unfortunate part. It's going to take several weeks, if not several months, before the judge comes to a decision. So it's going to be a while. Uh, but when it happens, that's going to be one of the more, um, more prominent decisions made against tech in a, in a long time. All right, on to story two. And last week, we talked a little bit about how state legislatures are rolling out all these kind of new laws that are anti-tech companies, uh, particularly because the federal government has been fairly slow to introduce the new regulations that many people thought they would. Well, Florida leapt ahead of the whole pack on Monday with uh, the signing of a new law by their governor, Ron DeSantis. And uh, this law uh, basically bans social media companies from suspending uh, prominent politicians for more than 14 days from their platforms. As you're likely thinking, yes, that is a direct response to the suspension of, uh, or ban, if you will, from Donald Trump on Facebook and, and Twitter, uh, and, and other platforms like that. And, um, you know, DeSantis, upon signing the bill, said in a statement, if big tech censors enforce rules inconsistently to discriminate in favor of the dominant Silicon Valley ideology, they will now be held accountable. So it was, you know, very obvious, as we know, uh, there's a lot of political fervor, um, particularly from the right against Silicon Valley right now. And, and this certainly, uh, as Governor DeSantis even said, he was playing right into that. That's directly what he is aiming for. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the main theme undergirding all of this is that this law will be challenged immediately. Uh, and it will be very surprising if it ever really gets off the ground to the point where Florida can, uh, you know, punish a social media company for it or, or try to find them. And, and that's because it's, it's pretty obviously unconstitutional. Uh, the First Amendment protects private companies, uh, from, protects private companies from being told what they can and can't do with regards to speech. And that appears to be exactly what's happening here. In fact, a law professor from the University of Miami in Florida uh, told Wired, this is so obviously unconstitutional, you wouldn't even put it on an exam. And, uh, you know, Section 230, which we talk about a lot, is also sort of at play here as well. That's a federal law, and it, and it preempts most state laws regarding uh, tech uh, companies and Internet companies. And it, it's very likely that Florida's law will come into conflict with it. And, and that's even if we get past the First Amendment issue. Okay, let's go on to the last one. Very fun one, very weird one. You may remember about two or three weeks ago, um, a, a massive piece of a Chinese rocket, um, you know, fell from space in onto Earth, and there was a little bit of fervor for a few days on the internet. Um, you know, people just kind of freaking out, you know, wondering if they were going to get hit by this, you know, giant object that was about to fall from space, where nobody knew uh, when exactly or where exactly it was going to land. Now that piece of rocket fell into the ocean next to the Maldives. Nobody was hurt. Um, did not create a huge mess uh, necessarily either. Uh, but but what would happen if it did? Um, you know, there was a, a really good space law expert um, who kind of broke things down for the Washington Post. And yes, space law expert, that is correct. Um, but for crash landings, there is a uh, sort of a law on the books, if you will, um, the Outer Space Treaty from 1967. And, and there was another sort of action as well from a few years later. But uh, the country sort of, several countries sort of got together on this and they kind of came, uh, to the conclusion that if, um, an unexpected, you know, piece of rocket from another country landed, uh, in, in someone else's country, 
then um, you can take legal action against them. But it has to come from the country versus the country. So if your house uh, got decimated by some, you know, rocket ship, um, you know, from China that, that fell from the sky, you personally would not be able to sue them. You would have to rely on the United States to sue them and, and take some sort of action or claim. And, and it could obviously not even be a lawsuit and just some sort of arbitration sort of deal. And this has actually happened before. Uh, not someone's house, of course, but a, a piece of rocket uh, ship landing um, in, in a country where it was not supposed to land. Um, and in fact, it was uh, uh, many years ago when it was still the Soviet Union around, um, some of their space debris fell into Canada. It ended up being a $14 million cleanup. Uh, Canada um, charged the Soviet Union, if you will, $6 million for it. The Soviets only paid $3 million. So as you can tell, the space law is uh, its not exactly defined. Um, but, uh, you know, this author in the Washington Post, um, uh, Tamibi Aganaba, brought up a, a very um, bigger question at the end, which is that we shouldn't worry so much about another rocket falling from the sky and hitting somebody's house, but instead all of the space debris that is stuck in space. Uh, he kind of compared it to environmental law, where we have a lot of rules set up to prevent, um, you know, litter or, um, you know, pollution and things of that nature, because we know that it is harmful to humans here on the planet. We obviously don't have any humans up in the air, but it is still uh, bad for the atmosphere and bad for the cosmos up there. And with everything just kind of uh, debris rustling around and, you know, floating around up there, it is a negative, it, you know, provides a negative situation and is a net negative for everything, um, you know, up in the atmosphere. So, he kind of is recommending that we start to think of space law like environmental law and sort of take that next step for the debris that is just up there before it comes down to the earth. But that is it for this week's edition of 10 Minute Legal News. I thank you all for listening and we'll talk again next week.